Welcome to Charity Talks. I'm Brooke Donefsky, and today I spoke with Dr. Keith Sheff, a professor of neurology and neurosurgery at Yale School of Medicine and a neurologist at Yale New Haven Hospital, as well as a member of the quality team at the American Stroke Association. Stroke is one of the most serious medical issues a person can experience and affects one in six people during their lifetimes. And while most people generally know what a stroke is, they don't necessarily know what causes it, what the symptoms are, and what it can be like for a person who has suffered a stroke. As you'll hear, Dr. Sheff, as one of the top experts on strokes, does a great job of explaining what causes a stroke, what you can do to lower your risk of experiencing one, the research he and his team are doing in this field, and what to be looking for and what you should do if you think you are having a stroke. This episode can save your life or the life of someone you care about. So without further delay, I give you Dr. Keith Sheff. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Keith Sheff, Professor of Neurology and Neurosurgery at Yale School of Medicine, a member of the quality team at the American Stroke Association, and a neurologist at Yale New Haven Hospital. Dr. Sheff, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Yeah, of course, it's great to be here. So to start, could you share a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work at Yale New Haven Hospital involving strokes? Sure. So I'm a stroke and critical care neurologist uh, an acute neurologist. So if you think about most neurology, a lot of neurology happens in the outpatient clinic. People that have migraines and uh, seizures and Parkinson's disease and really important things like that. I work in a different area of neurology uh, when people come into the hospital for an emergency, like a stroke. So I, I see patients, I teach medical students and trainees, and then I spend a lot of my time doing research so that we can help uh, stroke victims uh, have better lives. Yeah, and could you share a little bit about the mission of the American Stroke Association? You know, the American Heart Association, American Stroke Association in general, uh, their mission is really towards helping people live longer lives and longer healthy lives, uh, free of cardiovascular disease and stroke. Uh, as a neurologist, I can tell you that the ASA, the American Stroke Association, they have this incredible mission where they recognize that uh, the brain is a big part of overall uh, vascular health, um, treating things like uh, blood pressure, cholesterol, maintaining a healthy diet, uh, being physically active, uh, uh, keeping your weight down, uh, avoiding behaviors like smoking. Um, you know, all of these kinds of things can really lead to longer, healthier lives, and they can really help uh, protect the brain in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and I'm sure that most people have a general understanding of what a stroke is, but could you talk a little bit about what, physiologically speaking, a stroke involves? Sure. So, uh, technically, there are two kinds of stroke. The technical definition is sort of focal neurological deficit due to a vascular cause. What, is that, what does that really mean in sort of layperson's terms? Well, there's two kinds of strokes. There's ischemic strokes and hemorrhagic strokes. The much more common type is the ischemic stroke. 
And that's basically when there's a blockage in one of the blood vessels supplying blood to a portion of your brain. When that part of your brain is not getting the oxygen, glucose, and other nutrients that it needs uh, that the blood otherwise delivers, uh, the brain is a high-energy organ that uh, starts to shut down, and those brain cells can die. And that results directly in disability. The other kind of stroke, hemorrhagic stroke, is basically when you have a brain hemorrhage. You can get a brain hemorrhage for a lot of different reasons, but ultimately it's when uh, there's part of a blood vessel that ruptures open. There's bleeding into the brain, which causes direct trauma to the brain. And then there's secondary consequences of uh, blood, which can be a toxic substance uh, being within the brain tissue itself. Yeah, and you're already starting to address it, but I don't think that the average person really always understands how prevalent strokes are and the damage they can do. You already talked about some of the ways and also with motor impairment. So can you talk a little bit more about the damage that strokes can cause? Yeah, you know, we've made some progress in stroke over the years, but to give you a sense, it's the fifth leading cause of death in the United States and a leading cause of disability around the world. And when you're thinking about what strokes can do, you're absolutely right. Uh, depending on the portion of the brain that's affected, it can cause weakness in an arm or a leg, oftentimes on one side of the body, but it can also cause uh, disability in other ways. It can change your ability to produce fluent speech or language or to be able to comprehend what others are saying. It can affect your reading, your writing, your memory, um, how you communicate, uh, whether or not you're able to eat or swallow safely. And fundamentally, all of these things can attack your ability to be independent. And can you elaborate a little bit about the American Stroke Association's goal and how they're really combating strokes and helping stroke victims in general? Well, the American Stroke Association really helps in a number of different ways. First of all, they really have incredible uh, public health and public education campaigns that work in a variety of different levels uh, in communities throughout the United States and now increasingly around the world. And the work that they're doing really uh, focused on stroke prevention, on stroke treatment, and stroke recovery in all kinds of populations, especially those populations that are most vulnerable. In addition to these education campaigns, the American Association and a lot of resources and expertise into making sure that the quality of care that's delivered around stroke is top-notch everywhere. Uh, so they monitor, they develop quality metrics, and they implement these metrics uh, along with uh, volunteers like myself and with physicians and nurses around the country. The last thing I would mention briefly is that the American Stroke Association independently and oftentimes through collaborations with public and private partners uh, invests a lot of resources in fundamental research, uh, both research that happens in the laboratory and also pa uh, research that happens in patients and in community. So the American Stroke Association does an incredible amount to prevent and to treat stroke and to help patients who have had a stroke and their families. And uh, it, it's why people like me who uh, treat stroke patients and uh, 
spend a lot of our lives doing research on stroke work so closely with a wonderful organization like the AHA. Yeah, and I know that you and your team conducts a lot of cutting-edge research on strokes in general, but also particularly understanding inflammation and the brain swelling that occurs after strokes. So could you discuss some of the clinical trials you're currently involved in? Yeah, as an acute neurologist, I'm involved with trials uh, that happen soon after a stroke. And so uh, for a number of years, we've been uh, involved in exciting programs uh, where after you have an ischemic stroke, especially a large ischemic stroke, you oftentimes get swelling. We haven't until recent years really started to instruct why it is that patients swell and why some people swell more than others. But we're beginning to understand uh, why that occurs and understand that a lot of that has to do with inflammation that, that sometimes can occur after stroke. So we've been characterizing that and testing new therapies that might treat that swelling in the first place. We initially were doing this in ischemic stroke, but in recent years, we've been doing this in hemorrhagic stroke as well. Along the way, one of the new directions our group has taken uh, in recent years is not only working in acute stroke, but also working in stroke prevention, trying to prevent stroke in the first place. And we're trying to identify populations of patients using genetics or brain imaging or clinical features to identify high-risk populations and to identify new strategies that can help these high-risk groups. Yeah, and is there a particular area of research that you believe is most promising in terms of the potential short-term improvements in stroke recovery and prevention? I think there are a number of exciting areas. You know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, maybe as recently as 10 or 15 years ago, uh, there wasn't that much to offer in a lot of these categories. Uh, pharmaceutical companies, sometimes it's a common saying for them to say stroke is a graveyard, uh, meaning there have been a lot of efforts that have gone into stroke that have not been fruitful. But there have been a number of wins that have happened in all of the areas that you've mentioned in recent years, in stroke prevention, in acute treatment. And that's changing the way communities are set up, the way we're practicing medicine. You know, I don't think I'm that old, but the way we treat stroke patients today is already dramatically different than how we did it when I was in medical school. And that tells us that progress can be made. And I think there are a number of areas where we're going to see lots of opportunity in the next, uh, you know, next 5, 10, 15 years. Yeah, it definitely sounds like considering how as more issues and more is understood about strokes, there's even more progress that can be made, which is really interesting. One of the things we always have to do as neurologists is to demystify uh, what's going on with the brain. It seems like such a complex organ, which it is. And so it's hard to understand in broad communities sometimes. But in some ways, the basic elements are relatively simple. And one of the reasons I got into stroke and into neurology in the first place is because there's such an opportunity to make it. It's a huge public health issue. And recent success has shown that progress can be made. And, well, why be in an area where everything's already figured out? Yeah, it's a good point. And I know that especially considering how many people strokes affect, it would make sense that it's good if people can have at least a basic understanding. So education and just understanding strokes in general, I feel like is important as well. 
Yeah, that's right. And that's why I think it's important for the broad community. And I'm inspired to hear, you know, young communities like yours are especially interested in an area like this. I think it's just wonderful. Yeah. And could you share a little bit about the importance of the rehabilitation process? Yeah, you know, rehabilitation process, like the rest of stroke, but the rehabilitation process especially, uh, it's all about teams, teams of people. So we oftentimes talk about neurologists and physicians and nurses, and they're all important, but there are a lot of other people that are just as important, in many cases, probably even more important. You have uh, rehab specialists, psychiatrists, uh, physical therapists, occupational therapists, an entire specialty that just looks at whether or not you can swallow safely, whether or not you can improve how you produce your speech. And to recognize that all of these different people, uh, they have to work together in teams, right? Because you have to come together around coordinating uh, and harmonizing your approach to an individual patient. And each of these areas, uh, they're very important know that um, social networks and communities are really critical to uh, getting better at what becomes a chronic disease. And so it is critical. The teams are critical. And uh, there's more and more efforts uh, being directed in this area. Yeah, I think it's especially interesting. I know I've worked at Mount Sinai with teams of rehabilitation and just learning about the process. So I completely agree that you just see there's so many different, diverse, incredible people working on. So I think it's a really in- interesting issue as well. And I don't think any discussion on strokes would be complete without at least mentioning what some of the symptoms of strokes are and what people should do if they experience these signs. So can you share what people should be on the lookout for? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, there are different educational campaigns that have been developed in the years. But especially when you notice an asymmetry in uh, your weakness and strength or in your movement in, in an arm or a leg, when you notice any kind of facial drooping, when you notice a change in your language, uh, your speech production, your ability to speak clearly, your ability to understand others, those are all potential signs and symptoms of a stroke. And sometimes a stroke either can be modern or it can be debilitating. And what that means is that um, you can't rely sometimes on just the individual uh, calling the emergency services. It's important for people that are standing around, whether it's your family, your friends, your uh, office workers, you know, any environment that you're in, um, when you suspect these signs and symptoms, don't wait. Time is brain. Uh, don't wait to see whether or not things get better. Get on the phone, call 911, call 911 right away. Yeah, and I know that sometimes symptoms present differently in women than men. So I was wondering if you could explain how there can be slight differences sometimes. There can be. Some of those differences have to do with exactly what's causing the stroke. And sometimes it has to do with um, what part of the brain is affected. You know, one of the things about stroke is that unlike most acute medical problems, pain is not always a presenting feature. And, you know, pain is a pretty powerful motivator to go to the emergency to get some help and call your doctor. The fact that there's not pain present often 
is some ways makes it harder, especially when you combine it with the mystical neurological symptoms or uh, mild symptoms. There have even been studies that have shown that sometimes people wait around too, too long or they're dismissive of symptoms. I can't uh, encourage uh, your audience loudly enough. Don't wait. Never hesitate. Pick up the phone. Call 911. Yeah, it's interesting because pain could actually be a positive in some aspects that strokes don't have. So it's interesting how people might not always realize that they should go and get help. And what are some of the ways that individuals can best um, help prevent strokes in general? Oh, uh, see your physician regularly, your primary care physician. Uh, go through the regular screenings that you would go through as part of health maintenance check, uh, which includes screening and evaluation for diabetes, um, getting your blood pressure checked, treating your blood pressure, avoiding smoking, exercising regularly, having a diet that's rich fruits fibers and vegetables uh, you know those are strategies that can be really helpful yeah and uh, thanks for reaching out